0: back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes and today is the beginning of a little bit of a new series. I, I guess I did this in a previous off season, but the idea is to go through each of the other 29 teams not named the Sacramento Kings throughout the NBA and try to educate ourselves a little bit. It's important to understand the competition uh that the kings are dealing with east and west coast and we're going through the teams alphabetically and the first person that we have up today is andrew kelly who covers the atlanta hawks how uh how you doing andrew i'm doing well man how about you i'm doing well man i i appreciate you hopping on and and taking the time to do this with me i kind of want to just start with like a, I know it's a vague question, but what was last season like for you covering the Atlanta Hawks? Like, What were the expectations going into the year, and then how did the year go in comparison to those expectations?
1: I think frustrating is probably the word that most people would, would start with. Um, obviously, they made the conference finals last season, so the expectations were pretty high heading in. I think most people thought they would be a team that would contend for home court, if not get it outright. And they just got off to a terrible start. I mean, you really just can't drop a worse start than what they had. Uh, Had issues with COVID, too, through December. Had to sign a bunch of, like, G League-quality players over that stretch. Uh, Over the second half of the season, things were better. Um, I think they were uh, top 10 in net rating over, like, the last 40 games. So they did improve a bit, but never really quite got to the the synergy that they had the year prior and then had a very – embarrassing, I guess, a uh, playoff exit against Miami. So definitely a step back as far as uh, what the expectations were heading into the season. But overall, I still think their position is pretty solid. Uh, they made some moves in the off season, um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough year.
0: What do you think uh, kind of contributed to that slow start?
1: I would say a number of things. Uh, Trey Young had a quote to, uh, this season that it can be hard to get up for the regular season games after the playoff success. And you, you got to keep in mind too, this is still a relatively young team. I think that's part of the issue with the run they had in the playoffs that it set expectations probably higher than they should have been. And when you look at how young they are, uh, Collins is under 25. Trey is under 25, pretty much like the, the core players outside of like Bogdanovich and Capella are all, are all pretty young guys. Um, and I think they just had trouble – getting up again, uh, because you, you start, you start again from the first game, you know, you think after you make the conference finals that we can do this again in the the following year or have more playoff success, but you really do start from scratch again. And I think that's hard for young teams to kind of adopt that, that mindset. So I think that played a role in the, uh, in the start. They also had some, some bad luck with injuries, uh, Bogdan had a knee procedure at the start of, uh, last off season and that kind of set him back a bit capella had a procedure so he started off a bit slow uh, hunter got hurt again and he missed a, a number of uh, games with his worst injury so just it, it took a while for them to really get to, to where they looked a bit like last year's team um, so that was part of it just injuries and i think they just didn't have the right mindset at the start of the year
0: Yeah, it makes sense. You mentioned uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic, just somebody that I want to touch on a little bit. And I'm curious, you know, I was very critical at the time when the Kings did not match that four-year 72 million. And it was a complicated situation with uh, new general manager, Monty McNair, just having taken over the job and and Wes Wilcox as well. And just kind of like forced into a tough decision pretty quickly. And I think they leaned more towards kind of flexibility and maybe clearing their books a little bit but in your mind is Bogdan Bogdanovich on that four-year 72 million dollar deal which only has this year and the next year is a uh, I believe player option in your mind is that a positive value asset because I I thought at the time that it very easily would
1: be I would say right now it's 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 very ambivalent it's hard to say because it, it really does come down to his health Uh, When you look at what he's been, when he's healthy, he's been really excellent at times for them. They certainly would have not made the run they did uh, in 2021 without the form that he got into uh, over the second half of the season. And this past year, too, it it started similarly where where he started off slow uh, with the injuries and then got hot again over the second half of the season. And then his knee became an issue again in the playoffs and they ended up having to shut him down. And then he's had another knee surgery this offseason. So you have to think that his offseason is going to be based more around rehab. And you wonder how that might affect him at the start of the year. He's also entering his age 30 year. So you have a player that has been very key for them at times. I mean, he's an excellent shooter, uh, a diverse shooter. He can shoot off screens, can shoot pull-ups, a good secondary ball handler, someone who can create off the dribble. He's a nice player with a good skill set. But again, he's entering his age 30 season, and he's had two knee procedures procedures over the last 12 months so it's hard to be super optimistic about him I guess and I would say that along with DeAndre Hunter he's probably one of the two biggest questions for them this year if they get high caliber play from him off the bench uh, then they could be a pretty good team but they are still pretty reliant on him for shooting so as far as contract I mean he has that trade kicker in there too that I think that makes it hard to move him I would say he's probably at best neutral, and teams are probably going to stay away right now if they wanted to move him just because of the trade kicker and the injury situation. Um, So it remains to be seen. It's hard to say.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that it didn't quite uh, fold out in the way that I maybe would have thought. I, I thought that it was kind of a no-brainer to take him on that deal, but obviously he did have injury concerns previously and came into the league a little bit older already. Um, but yeah, I mean, his impact is, is obvious when he is, when he is healthy. And you mentioned DeAndre Hunter there as well, who kind of falls into the same category. In your mind, when this team is healthy, is Bogey coming off the bench?
1: Yeah, I would be surprised if he did. I think they're they're, they're kind of married to Hunter in some ways at the three um, bogey. I, I think he does generally do better at the three than at the two. He's someone who's strong, not like very laterally quick, but he has good hands and he's physical. So he's, he's better at matching up with forwards. Um, I would think he, he does project to be sort of their sixth man, him and a I guess sort of co six men off the bench for them. Um, I think that he's definitely a much better passer than Hunter. So there are times where, Closing you might kind of prefer him for offense to Hunter depending on what the matchups are looking like but I would project him to be a a bench player again and it's also a pivotal year for Hunter Uh, this is the last year of his rookie deal I'm skeptical that they'll come to an extension prior to the start of the season they might want to see and uh, let that play out and see if he can be more consistent Um, but I, I do think that Hunter is pretty locked in as a starter there.
0: Hunter's really interesting to me. I feel like he's the X factor of this team and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong there, yeah, but like, I, I just, I, I don't know what to expect. You know, I feel like there was moments where I looked at Hunter and was like, wow, I think he's the exact, like most valuable type of prototype that you see in the NBA right now, the size that he has and, and the shooting that's there and a little bit of self-creation and, and point of attack defense or on-ball defense. It, he's really intriguing to me, but at this point like what are you hoping for next season from DeAndre Hunter when he is healthy because i would assume the the answer is just for him to be available and healthy but if that was the case like what are you hoping to see on the floor
1: yeah i think that was a pretty good introduction uh, after the start of the 2020 2021 season i mean those first 20 games from him before he uh, had his knee injury he he tore part of his meniscus i mean he was one of the most improved players in the league i don't think that's reach and all to to say that Uh, he was shooting next to elite percentages from mid-range he was an impact defender I think that he's a really interesting evaluation as a defender he's not the kind of defender that will raise your floor like if you have a poor defensive structure around him he's not going to do a lot for you but if you have a good defensive architecture then he's somebody who can raise your ceiling because he's just so good on the ball you know I I posted clips before. If you go back and watch their debut game against uh, Dallas at the start of last season, Stan Van Gundy at one point said that he thought that was the best he'd ever seen someone defend Luca. Like he, if you get in a playoff series with like a Philly where you have to face Harden, then like someone like Hunter can, can really be an impact player for you. But again, he's just not consistent. That's, that's really been the key factor for him. He had a kind of a rough rookie year, came back way better in his second year, then get hurt this year. I, I think, Injuries probably played a role in in, in the way that he was inconsistent. Um, He he had a right wrist injury, so that limited his ability to dribble. And his handle was sort of a key area of improvement the year prior. Then he regressed with that this year. And you could just really see how he had trouble dribbling in traffic at all, getting to his spots in mid-range. So I think tightening up his handle is going to be key for him because he is a good mid-range shooter if he can just get to his spots. Playing more off the catch, uh, I think, is going to be big, trying to make Shorter, uh, you know, quicker decisions, I think is going to be important instead of trying to, you know, isolate and, and, and dribble into these mid-range jump shots that he likes to do it all the time. <laughs> um, so I think that's becoming more consistent on offense, playing off the catch um, defensively. Uh, I think that there's a lot to like. It's just got to be more consistent from him. And I think they're in better position next year, too, because they've added uh, DeJounte Murray. So they have him at the point of attack now capella is going to have a healthy offseason. i could see him getting off to a better start so i could see him having a good defensive year it's just all about consistency and staying healthy and i also think that he's got to be due for some better injury luck too you know like he's he's really had some tough breaks
0: yeah he's definitely been out of the lineup a lot more than i think maybe was expected for sure like 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 you said hopefully uh kind of evens out and and he gets uh he gets a little bit lucky here and and ends up staying healthy do you have an idea and it it might be hard to gauge with the limited playing time that we've seen from him but do you have an idea of like what his ceiling is because for a little while in my mind it felt like he was he had all-star potential and it's just hard to gauge right now but do you have an an idea in your mind where you're at with that
1: well i think what you're really looking for now um now that they've added. DeJounte, you don't really have to think of him as like, oh, can, can he potentially develop into a number two type guy? Um, it makes it easier on him. I think what you're really just simply looking for is just a good two way player. You know, if he's a good defender who's versatile in his assignments, can, can check these like high end ball handlers like a Harden or a Lucan that you might see in the playoffs, that's a very valuable defensive skill to have. And then offensively, just being a good shooter, um, a, you know, a solid shot creator doesn't have to be a great one. But if you're a two-way wing at, you know, 6'7", 225 pounds, you just don't really see a lot of those, and those guys tend to get paid. Um, so I think the upside for him is is, is basically that, you know, like a, a good shot creator, not a great one, a good shooter, not a great one, but a very good on-ball defender. Like that's just a valuable archetype to have, and that's one that, like I said, generally tends to get paid. So something along those lines. I mean, at times he, he does have like uh, – maybe some Jalen Brown type, type flashes, you know, as somebody that has uh, Jalen Brown. I mean, even though his, his handle is still a weakness, he really improved it a ton since college. And I think that he, he's someone that his strength that he has on drives could be a big weapon, and that's similar to Hunter as well. So maybe like a lighter version of that is kind of like, you know, the, the upside the ceiling you know, scenario that you could see for him. But in reality, like the good outcome that they're shooting for is just a good two-way wing.
0: Yeah, and you can't understate the value that that has in today's league. You know, like Sacramento would die for a two-way wing. Like, I mean, taking Keegan Murray at four, I guess, is somewhat comparable of a player to DeAndre Hunter at four. I, I think that Hunter has a higher ceiling in my mind, but uh, but Murray is a damn good three-point shooter. Going into uh, going into this off-season, what were your expectations, or what were you? feeling like Atlanta needed to improve and kind of needed to do going into this offseason. There was a lot of talk around John Collins and there were some whispers around the the Kings with that. I, I think that they were maybe a little bit hesitant to include draft capital when it came to John Collins and obviously ended up settling on a deal with, with Kevin Herter. But coming into this offseason, what were your
1: expectations and hopes for Atlanta? I think that the primary goal was just to upgrade the talent level. And I think that's something that the Heat series really exposed is like the lack of higher end talent is something that they really needed to address, and they could have done that in a variety of ways. They were also attached to DeAndre Ayton, for example. You know, center is not really uh, a key position that they needed to upgrade, but as far as from a, from a talent perspective, that was someone that they might have considered, um, and it really showed that they needed another shot creator and another ball handler. Um, you would just see. Um, when teams could trap Trey or just switch on him, they could give they could really just kind of shut down their offense at times. Miami, especially, was able to do that in the playoffs. So it really exposed the need for another ball handler, and they ended up addressing that uh, through Murray. I mean, I, when you look at what they gave up with multiple unprotected picks, I mean, you could definitely say that they they overpaid. You know, Murray had an all star season last year. The multi year sample isn't an all star sample, but he you know he's someone that I think is you know roughly a top forty player in the league and he's uh, entering his prime years. So I think that they, they they wanted to get another perimeter defender, and they wanted to get another ball handler, and they sort of did that in one package in Murray. Um, perimeter defense was just such a, a key problem for them next year. They're hoping that with a healthy hunter, that could be an issue, and the Adam Murray, Murray should certainly help. Um, so those were really the key areas they sought to address was perimeter defense and creation. And outside of Murray, they, re- they really haven't done that much. Obviously, they got – Justin Holiday back in in that trade and he should help on the defensive angle. He's a good catch and shoot guy. Um so that's really it for them. I mean when you look at the the other moves they made, I mean they lost Gallo, they uh lost Herter, they've lost Delon Wright. I would say the bench overall is downgraded from last season, but their higher in talent might be better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I definitely expected a little bit from Justin Holiday when he was part of that uh Sabonis trade and I got to say he was uh, I I hate to be this, I hate to be this guy, but he was horrific the time that he spent in Sacramento. It was so bad, and I think he's better than what we've seen. I think he's an okay backup in the league. I think it's more ideal if he's like a third string type guy, but I I do think that he works fine as a backup. I, I'm intrigued by, I, I watched a few Atlanta games kind of in preparation for this podcast and. Atlanta is quite the viewing experience. You know, the offensive end is really just Trey Young, it feels like. Just run it through him, and and he does get people good looks. Like, I understand why that is the scheme. Um, And defensively was a tough watch, but do you think that it's going to be a different experience watching Atlanta this year with DeJounte Murray there on both ends of the floor?
1: Yeah, I I think it has to be. I mean, Trey has never played with another ball handler to that, level he's had good secondary creators like like bogdan herder but never really someone that can work as a a primary ball handler in the way that murray can the most logical thing and the way that their roster is set up is to really stagger them as much as possible and try to have one on the court of all times so if you can um, that's really what you would like to do with their roster so i think that's how they can sort of make that that fit work i mean it's it's hard to say too. Like, I think everybody's just curious about how the fit is going to look. I mean, Murray, really not much of a shooter. Um, he really had an excellent season with the ball in his hands last year. So you have to wonder how that's going to work with Trey. It could be more of a my turn, your turn kind of thing that we saw in Houston when uh, they had Chris Paul and, and James Harden at the same time. And I think that's kind of a version of what they might shoot for um it's really just hard to say you know we haven't really seen trey in this role we haven't really seen murray much in this role i mean a little bit when they had the rosen um, but his breakout really came with the ball in his hand so it's going to be fascinating to see how how the offensive works there and how they might sort of cohabitate um defensively it should help a lot i mean murray's a great defender you could say that maybe he slipped a bit from his all defense caliber uh, you know second season that he had before his acl tear but certainly a huge upgrade from what they had previously. Um, so the defense should be better just by virtue of a healthy Hunter and uh, adding Murray. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the offensive fit works out.
0: How much better do you think they are defensively? Because last year was uh, Basketball Reference has them at 26th in defensive rating, and they were one of the only teams that was bottom 10 in in defensive rating that were still still able to make the the postseason. And obviously, that just has to do with their phenomenal offense. But how much better do you think they are defensively? Is it still a team that is reliant on their offense and they just have to not be bad on defense, like in my mind, the kings are, or where are you at with their defense?
1: I think as the season went on, they did tend to improve defensively just by getting you know more healthy. Um, when you look at their starting lineup i I think they actually could be maybe surprisingly good defensively. Clint Capell and John Collins. When they've been paired together, they are somewhat of an awkward fit on offense because they kind of replicate roles. But defensively, they're pretty good at limiting shots on the, at the rim because that's just sort of the advantage that you have when you play two bigs. Capella's a good rim protector. Collins is a good you know, help side rim protector. And they can sort of limit the shots that teams get at the rim. Um, if you have DeAndre Health, Hunter healthy, you can have him to match up with pretty much any wing score that, that teams can throw at you. DeJounte Murray gives you a much better option at the point of attack so really I would say they have you know, four positive some very positive defenders in their lineup outside of Trey. so it's really you know how how much can you improve the defense in that starting lineup with Trey still being a, a pretty significant negative so I think with the starters like even if Trey is poor and we can generally assume that that they could have a pretty good defense there uh, with the bench I think it's more sketchy I mean a Kong who I like a lot. I think he'll be an impact player. Holiday hopefully looks more like he did in Indy than in Sacramento. Bogey, I'm pretty pessimistic about just defensively with the injuries that he's had. Um, but overall, like I said, they, they did improve as the season went on and they got healthier. I think they have a chance to be a middle of the pack kind of defense. But that's what they're shooting for.
0: Yeah, you touched on it a little bit there. The bench is... When when I was going through this, I feel like the bench is pretty tough. Like I, I really like Bogey. I really like a Kongwu. I love a Kongwu. I, I was really high on a Kongwu at the time of the draft. Um, somebody that's really intriguing to me. I think he's a phenomenal rim protector. And uh, a little bit later in this, we'll touch on the kind of Capella Kongwu situation and if there's anything there with kind of Capella to make more room for a Kongwu. But do you? Am I crazy in thinking that the depth of this team is maybe a concern?
1: Oh yeah, that's to me that's maybe the biggest concern this they went from having like a ton of depth, you know, they had guys like Gallinari and Herter and Wright to now where they're, they're pretty thin. Like they really don't have another ball handler after DeJounte and Trey. I mean, they can fix this by staggering, but they're not going to play all 82 games. And that's where Wright's departure could really hurt too, because he can play off the ball as well uh, when, when you don't need him to handle. So that's, you know, ball handler depth is a, a clear weakness right now. Uh they let Gallinari go for nothing. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing actually because they, they used him in the Murray trade, but they didn't replace him. They're replacing him with Jalen Johnson, who's you know really just a mystery box. You know, he hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last few years, but I think he enters the season as the de facto backup for Collins. Although we could see Harkless there as well. Uh, Holiday, I think, will play behind Hunter, so they're they're really just pretty thin. I mean, you can make the argument that if you get sort of the the indie version of Justin Holiday, a congoid makes another step forward. And Bogey ends up being relatively healthy. That at least your top eight could be pretty good, but the depth is really definitely a concern. And I mean, frankly, like the their approach to just trying to stay out of the cat out of the uh, luxury tax, I think, has hurt them. The Herder trade was 100 percent made primarily just to try and get them positioned to avoid the tax. Uh, they're not going to use their tax player MLE, which might have helped their rotation. So they're kind of walking this like weird line where they're all in, but not really wanting to pay luxury either. And that's something that impacts their bench, you know? Um, so depth, I think is is really key for them. I I, I think their, their starting lineup has potential to be quite good, but the depth is really my big concern.
0: Yeah. The starting lineup, like you're saying, looks really good. And after that, I think like, I, I weirdly like Aaron holiday. I don't know that I want to rely on him in a rotation. I, I think that he could be, decent and like you said staggering young and murray makes a lot of sense so it's not like i see all too big of a role for aaron holiday but like he could it all it takes is one more guy being decent right i think if you have an eight nine man rotation that you're in an okay spot and i think that you can rely on bogdanovich and nakongwu like we talked about i think that justin holiday should fall into that i'm a little bit more skeptical probably just it. i had a tough viewing experience when during his time in sacramento but like i also really like harkless Um, but I I think the same issue that Harkless had in Sacramento could be the case in Atlanta where this is a team that last year was second in three-point percentage and then they lost Herter they lost um, Gallinari like you touched on as well is there any concern in your mind when it comes to spacing and three-point shooting that's not going to be quite the same as it was last year
1: yeah, you know it. Yeah, that's that's one of the issues. I mean, they went from being an elite 3-point shooting team to now where they've downgraded. Um I think some of this is is just due because they're they're trying to address defense. I mean, they had the number 2 offense last year and they were like you said terrible in defense. So it it made sense that you might give up like some offensive spacing just to try to you know patch some holes defensively and that's a big part of the, the Murray trade is that you're trying to get better defensively even if you sacrifice some spacing. They're going to be more reliant on guys like John Collins at the four who's a pretty good shooter, not a volume shooter to probably take more threes and, and make them at a good rate. They are frankly really going to need Justin Holiday to uh, look more like his indie form and be a good catch and shoot guy. Uh, Hunter, I, I'm pretty optimistic about as a shooter. He's had his flashes. I think he could be at least pretty good catch and shoot, but certainly they've taken a very clear st- step back defensively. And it's something that could be an issue at times. Um, you still feel pretty good overall, even if the spacing is not quite ideal. Just with Trey Young offense, he's just such a ridiculous creator. He can get people in the right spots. And even if um, they're not great at, at at making threes, that you can still come out with successful offense. So I, it's, it's a concern. It's not like an overriding concern for me, but it, it's clearly th- th- that they've taken a step back.
0: Yeah, it's intriguing to me because I I don't know, it's a team in my mind that last year you know kind of rode their offense as far as they could and just tried to skate by defensively and I'm not the most convinced to be honest that they're going to be significantly improved on defense and and I feel like there's a chance that they took a step down on offense and I I do think that starting lineup is really interesting like we're talking about a, a couple times here like I think there's seven people in this rotation that are really intriguing to me but I kind of struggle a little bit to see kind of how this all pieces together considering the assets that were given up for DeJounte Murray and I know that he's young. Uh, you know, thirty-four point five percent on catch and shoot threes last year. I'm, I'm interested in seeing how Trey Young works off the ball as well. Like, is there another level that he can unlock, uh, both with himself and with Dejounte Murray, and kind of the spacing and in off ball focus that he will demand from opposing defenses so i I think it's intriguing but overall looking at the jante murray deal and then the the harder deal as well like how are you feeling when it comes to this atlanta offseason because they gave up a lot and honestly i'm a little skeptical about how much better they really got
1: yeah i think all of that is fair i think that they really needed another like all-star type player to pair with trey long term um Murray, not a perfect fit in every way, but what they have been really looking for going back to the true holiday trade to the Bucks, that apparently they were also interested in getting in on was getting another defensive guard to pair with Trey who can create his own shot and score. Like that was a, a very important role that they saw that they needed to fill and Murray became available and they, they got him, you know, that was just their guy that gave up a lot to get him. for this year. I, I tend to agree with you that I, I don't think that they got significantly better. Just when you look at the, you know, all of the moving parts that happened. Um, I'm not sure that their top nine is like significantly better than their top nine last year. Uh, But with better health, like I I think that was just a really key thing for them last year. Like they really did improve as the season went on. They just got off to a terrible start. I think the starting lineup will be better than it was last year. And they'll have to lean on their starters more, but it's hard to project a a massive step forward just because of the depth. And um, I still think that the coaching is solid, but not like, something that gives you an edge in any way. So I think they're probably another offseason and another consolidation trade away. Like if they can add another top 50-ish type player with some of their other assets, then they could be in a good spot long-term. But I, I think they're not quite there yet. Um, so I, I think I would impr- project you know some improvement just because I think that the starting lineup's going to be better. And uh, I, I do like the Murray addition overall, but I don't think that they're going to be, you know, a team that's challenging for home court or anything like that in the playoffs. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refunds. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming. Only on Hulu. Look at us. All together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots, shots, shots. Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? (laughs) Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Dust vacation friends Two, rated R now streaming only on Hulu
0: yeah that makes sense it's almost I question if they're I think top six is totally realistic I think they could be five or six but I also don't know that I'm betting on it I, I'm in this process I, I realized that I'm a little bit more skeptical than maybe I thought um looking at the Hawks but again like DeJounte is about more than this year in my mind like I, I do think that from my perspective and outsider perspective that like sure they're they're trying to win games sooner rather than later but at the same time Dejounte's not all in on the immediate like I, he's going to be around for a while he's a young player he could get better within himself um, do you think that there's more moves to be made this offseason you know I, I think there's been a lot of smoke obviously around John Collins but I, I think around Capella as well almost to make room for a Kong Wu is what it seems like or or you know just kind of Evening out your assets, right? I think the Kings are in a somewhat similar situation where it's like a Kongwu is maybe better than the backup minutes than he gets. And I, and I think the Kings are in a similar spot, like I was saying, with um, Rashawn Holmes. I, I don't think that he's a 15-minute-a-night guy, but that's just going to be the reality when he's behind someone like Demontis Sabonis, who... I, maybe they could play together, but I don't think it's going to happen all too often. But do you think that there's more moves that the Hawks could make before the start of the season? And in my mind, those revolve around Collins and Capella.
1: I don't think so. I, if, if they make more moves, I think they'll be kind of on the margins. Like, for example, they got Harkless in the in their Herder trade. And they're, I think, about $1.5 over the tax line. So if they were to you know dump him, and sign somebody to the minimum, then that would get them under the tax. Like those are the types of moves that <laughs> I could really see them doing. Nothing that is really too large right now. I just, it's hard to see a team now for Collins. Um, that was trading him probably made more sense if you thought that, you know, we're really high on J90. And we want to trade up to try to get him, for example, or if you needed to cash him in to make the Murray trade happen. But once, you know, those avenues kind of dried up, it's it's harder to really see the right team. You know, I mean, I could see maybe a team like Washington would maybe be interested for like Kuzma and a pick, but you know, do you really want to do Collins for Kuzma and a pick? I'm not sure that the Hawks would want to do that. Um, yeah, what, might- what's what's
0: the point of trading Collins? Like, was it was there just what'd you make of why that was a thing? Was it was it the chemistry with
1: Trey or being skeptical about his deal? Like, why? Well, I think that. There's a number of factors. Uh, his contract is, you know, he's got about $100 million left over the next four years. It's possible that you might want to get a little bit cheaper at the four if you can get more of a versatile forward type, like someone that can uh, help out on defense with Hunter is someone that can check wings and more of a shooter can make sense in some ways. But it's also that, you know, when you look at your trade pieces, he was really like their best one, you know, as far as like the money that he has that you could aggregate uh, for the type of salary that you're looking to, to bring in. And, you know, his track record to this point is pretty positive. So I think that the idea would be that you can maybe throw out Collins and then some picks. And that could be the trade that, you know, you make to, to bring in another star or something like that. So I think that's that's part of it. Um, but I really don't think that it's it's like a chemistry thing with Trey or anything like that. I just think that they sort of saw him as a good trade piece that they could use to upgrade their team. And he's maybe not as important as, as maybe uh, some others. So I think that's probably how they might, they might've viewed it. Um, I don't think that they're like pressing to trade him right now. And it's just hard to, to see where a suitor comes from, but I do think it's something that they could look to revisit the trade deadline. And then again, in the off season, he just seems like one of those guys that's always going to be in trade rumors forever. Um, but yeah, I could see it coming up again, in the deadline, but nothing before the season. Clint Capella too. I mean, the convoy six overall, you, you kind of, and he's been good. You kind of think, well, you know, maybe he's somebody they could look to deal, but He's someone that Trey really likes and is one of his favorite teammates. If you go back and you look at their two-man combos, like Trey and Capella has been easily their their top two-man combo over the last two years. And the thing is, when Capella has tended to play well defensively, like that's been the best version of the Hawks. You know, Trey is pretty consistent. So when you have Capella playing at a high level, then they do tend to be a good team. So he's just – they're still pretty dependent on him. He's a much better rebounder than uh, a Kongwu who's more experienced. You know, Okongwu has played, I think, 98 games – So it's just hard to kind of transition over to him when he has like 1,600 career minutes. Um, So I don't think Capel is someone that would be traded. So I'm thinking if they make more moves, it's probably going to be more marginal. But we could always see more of a shakeup at the deadline.
0: Any interest in uh, Harrison Barnes or
1: (laughs) Harrison Barnes for John Collins has floated around a lot? We did see that a lot. Uh, I think, you know, straight up, it just, you know, I like Collins more than Barnes. Barnes is a, a good player. What's he got? One year left on his deal. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: that that was what was interesting to me. I, I, like, I don't know how much better it makes either team. It's just more so like swapping contract situations. No.
1: Yeah, I would think it's it's, it's something like that. You know, like I said, Collins' money is probably neutral. I would say like he's maybe a bit overpaid for the role that he is in Atlanta, where they've kind of you know they have Capel that kind of takes away from his his pick and roll game. Um, but still, I. I I just don't really, it doesn't move the needle. You don't really see a lot of those kind of one-for-one one trades. Um, so it would have to be something where I think that the Kings are, are giving something back for you to, to really entertain it. And I don't think that the Kings would want to do that necessarily for Collins. I mean, Keegan Murray just, I mean, he, he just looks so mature. Uh, he really impressed me at summer league and the intersection of skills that he has with like some of the off ball shooting that he can do at, at, at his size, I think is really impressive. Yeah. Uh, I tend to see him more as a four anyway. I'm not sure to the Kings agree. Maybe they like him more at the three. So I just, you know, I think that Collins is more of an unnatural fit for them as well.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I was really impressed by Keegan Murray as well. Some really kind of shocked me. I was somebody that was really critical of that selection at the time. Like just the the ceiling debate and uh, I don't need to go too deep into it, but I was definitely a pro J90 guy just for the sake of uh, taking a ceiling swing yeah. when it I comes to – uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I was at as well. Um, when it comes to Kevin Herter, I, I would imagine there's frustration around the fan base because, like you're saying, that was kind of a clearing the tax type of move. But what do you think the ceiling of Kevin Herter is? Because he's kind of plateaued at this 12-point-per-game guy, um, but he's still really young. And do you feel like he was limited, in a way, playing with Trey Young?
1: I think for his ceiling, like, I always kind of compare him, honestly, to Bogey. Like, he's he's pretty similar in a lot of ways. And Bogey, over the last two years when he's been healthy, has been a clear top 100 player. He's been good. And I think that's sort of the path that Herter could take where he's just a good starter. You know, I, I think that's, that's kind of like the ceiling for him. Uh, he's a pretty good shot maker at times, like, especially from, like, around the foul line. He likes to dribble into, like, his, you know, seven to eight foot fadeaways, and he's good at those. Um, he can run some pick and roll. Um, I think that he's a nice player. He's, he's a quick decision maker. Um, he makes the extra pass. I like how he can link up play and offense. I think that that's sort of an underrated role at times, you know, people always focus on the primaries rightfully, but just the, having guys that can make that quick second decision and don't hog the ball. Like that's important. And that's something that herder is really good at, uh, when he's in the right role defensively, I think he's also like pretty good, um, like I said, with, with all the Hunter injuries, they've had to kind of shift him down at times where he's like taking on primary wing assignments that he really shouldn't. But when he's, you know, sort of your secondary defender, the guy he guards, like the lesser wing, I think he's effective. He's got good size. He's a better you know, lateral athlete than I think people think um, he can also block shots. Like I, th- I think people also don't realize that as well. Um, so I think that he could be at some point, even like a, a moderate positive defender, you're not somebody that's like great, but a good team defender, and I think he'll be a positive on offense. So I definitely I would project him, in fact, to to become like a top one hundred player. Um, I don't know that he'll necessarily be a starter with the Kings. I know they really like Davion. His you know, his defense could really help too, alongside Fox and Sabonis. Um, but I think he could be one of their top six top six players, you know, sort of a over a longer time frame. Um so he's someone that I think Kings fans should should look forward to and I, I tend to like a lot.
0: Yeah, he's definitely intriguing to me. I, I would be shocked if he's not starting and, and that's not sourced in any sort of way. It's just like, in my mind, the obvious way to go. I, I think that Fox Herder, Barnes, Murray Sabonis, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I've from talking to people think that there could be other ways that they go with the starting lineup, but I, I just, in my mind, like that makes so much sense to me. Um, do you have any strong opinions on Herder at the two compared to the three?
1: I like him more at the two just because that I don't like him taking on like some of the bigger wing types. You don't see a lot of those, you know, in matchups, but I do like him more at the two where you can play him with another guy with size. who can take on those matchups. I think he's, he's effective. Um, also too, like uh, from a King's perspective, I think it probably does make sense to start him just because, I mean, you did give up, albeit a protected, you know, first round pick for him. It makes sense to kind of uh, inject him in the lineup, but I do wonder at times that defensively they might be a little better served with Davion over over Herder for that reason. But I, he, for what it's worth, too, he also has typically played better with the starters in Atlanta. Like if you look at his minutes breakdown, when he comes off the bench, he hasn't been nearly as effective as he has as a starter. Um, so it makes sense for him for him to uh, to start at least initially. Um, but yeah, I like I I like it a lot uh, for the Kings. Um, they did give up that protected first, and the thing with that trade is too if if you're basically wrong about your team then that pick's not going to convey anyway so like there's not a lot of risk in that for the kings i think from the hawks side like like i said it was made primarily just to kind of get out of the tax and just you know control your your salary sheet um but if it conveys it's like a mid first and i think that's probably adequate you know for the hawks You'll, you you can take a mid first for somebody that's not going to start after you acquire murray uh, but I, I i like the fit a lot in uh, sacramento i think he's going to be good there
0: it's going to be intriguing to me because I, I think that Davion does bring a lot defensively like you talked about, um, but Herter's not a slouch on that end either. He's not somebody that's like changing your defense, but the Kings are starting from a really low bar, I guess, similarly to Atlanta. Like if you're talking about Buddy Heal and Tyrese Halliburton, like I, Kevin Herter is a better on-ball defender. Tyrese is really good off-ball, but on-ball, I, th- I think that there definitely is a struggle there and perimeter containment, similarly to Atlanta, was kind of a... A struggle with the kings and herders not solving your issues there but i do think it is an improvement um and i think this is kind of the part of the episode or i guess before we move on to your opinions outsider perspective on kind of sacramento um what are you expecting from the hawks this season do you have a range in mind that you expect them to kind of finish in what is a successful season in your mind
1: I thought you were about to set me up to ask about the Kings, man. You caught me a little bit off guard there. Uh, uh, I tend to think that if they can make the playoffs without the play-in, that would be pretty successful. You know, if they're the six seed and they lose a competitive first-round series, like that's fine. And then in the off-season, you could try to consolidate a bit more and uh, hopefully become closer to to where you want to be to to really go deep in the playoffs again. Um, but this year, my expectations aren't super high. Like I said, it, it's it's hard to project the East right now because you don't know what, what Brooklyn's going to do. Um, even some teams like Washington and the New York, if, if you assume that they get Mitchell, could be scrappy. I, I would say right now, if I was projecting them, I might have them as like the seventh seed. But if, you know, the, the KD trade goes down, I'd probably move them up a spot. And it's hard to say with Toronto, too, because they kind of sat on their hands, but they also have a lot of continuity. Um, it, it, it's a much tougher East right now. I think everybody's kind of agreed on that. Um, but yeah, I would say a, a successful season, essentially just, you know, getting in uh, winning about, you know, 48 games, getting into like the six seed and a good first round series. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I look at it.
0: Do you think they're in a better position than the Cavs long-term? That's a very good question.
1: Uh, I really like their, their top two more. I'm, I'm a huge Mobley guy. Like I honestly think Mobley's the best player in that class. Like that's, a bold statement in some ways too. Okay. <laughs> I, well, always hear, I do always love, hear I say, do love Cade, but it's close. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that he has like the highest floor and the highest ceiling. Um, I, I just think he could be very, very good. Like, you know, a, a hall of fame caliber player. I mean, that's bold to say after like one year of him, but I really do think that that's in his profile. And um, so I, I like their high end talent more um, just between him and Garland uh Allen is also a very good player he might be someone that could be a good third to four so i might prefer the Cavs a little bit more just because of you know Mobley and, and garland but there's also paths for atlanta too like I, I think they will be better next year um if the the fit with murray is is good with trey and you get to you know weaponize his off ball game a little bit more then that's something that can unlock more offensive ceiling and there's guys too like the conglue that could have a sneaky high ceiling if they get the time you know uh he's such a mobile center and. Uh, a better passer than someone like Capella, I think his upside could be higher than people think if he gets the right amount of shine, but I might prefer the Cavs a little bit more just for their, their high end talent, but I could go either way.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I I think that those teams are kind of like in the same tier in my mind. And I love the young talent of the Cavs. You mentioned Mobley. I really like uh, Darius Garland as well. I, I think that his creation is really interesting for himself and for his teammates. Uh, What do you think of the Knicks? If if they were to acquire Donovan Mitchell, how do you kind of compare them to Atlanta?
1: I would still favor the Hawks there. I mean, I like Brunson, and I'm I'm a Mitchell guy. I I think that he's probably underrated now. You know, he had that rough playoff series, but he had a great season last year. Uh, He's a poor defender, but I think it's, like, pretty clearly, like, at least a top 25 player, if not a little bit higher than that. But I, I would still project the, the Hawks over them. I think Randall could maybe have a bit of a bounce back here. He certainly wasn't as good as he was in his All-NBA year, but I think he's better than he showed last year. I think they could be scrappy, but I would pretty comfortably project them to be a play-in team because they'll have to give up some assets too in that, in that Mitchell trade. So they'll be better, but I, I would still definitely, I think, uh, prefer the Hawks to them.
0: Makes sense. I, I think that six seven range that I believe you kind of touched on is is kind of where I'm at in my mind as well. And the last thing I'll ask you on Atlanta before I kinda of get your perspective a little bit on the Kings, what do you make of AJ Griffin? Were you surprised that he fell all the way to sixteen in the same way that I was? Because I was shocked with that. Um and what are your kind of expectations for him, not only this year but moving forward?
1: I like the pick a lot. Like he was a very much a clear lottery guy for me. Um he was impressive at Duke. He's really an electric shooter. Like I, when you watch him, like he's got kind of a funky shooting form. Like it looks different than you would expect for someone with his percentage. It's so weird. His base yeah, is so wide. Yeah, it really is. But he, it goes down. He's confident and it shoots it the same way. Um, so I tend to really like the shooting, how that could work. Defensively, I thought he was one of the worst defenders in the draft. And he's lost a lot of time to injuries. You know, his, his feet aren't the quickest. I, it's hard for me to see him being like a good defender at any point, if I'm being honest but I do really like his shooting and I think that he has more potential as a scorer as well. And he's young. Um, it's just like that for him to fall like that too, is just like kind of like found money, you know, like you, you, that's definitely a lottery caliber talent that primarily fell for injury reasons. And when you're picking where the Hawks did, like you're you're happy to collect him there. Um, so I really like that pick. It's hard to say long-term just because defensively I'm, I'm skeptical of him. So I'm not sure that he's, the best fit next to Trey long-term for that reason. Certainly he could approve, but it's definitely worth emphasizing that he's not a good defender at all right now. But he's also someone that could turn into a good trade asset for you. And that's probably along the lines of how I might view him, like somebody that, you know, the, the league is always looking for these 6'6 six, six wings that can shoot like key can. Um, so I think that he could have value there. Uh, I don't really expect him to play much this year. We saw that with Jalen Johnson also from Duke uh, last year. He really didn't play at all. Um, so it's hard to really project him too much next year. Of course, with bogey's injury, you know, they might throw him in there. If he, if his shooting really, you know, pops out of the gate, they might get him in the rotation for that reason. Uh, especially because, you know, they did take the, uh, the step back shooting that we talked about. Um, but I wouldn't expect a lot from him next season, but he's still a pretty tantalizing prospect, I would say.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I realized I didn't talk about Jalen Johnson at all. Jalen Johnson is somebody that I would have picked over Davion Mitchell for the Kings at the time. Um, what do you think of the comparison between the two? Because it's another guy I was shocked fell as far as he did. I, I thought that he could fall, but not to that extent. Um, in your mind, what do you make of the comparison between those two prospects?
1: I would say that for me, he was a top 10 prospect for me in that draft. I mean, it's hard to evaluate him because he he bounced around high schools and then he left Duke early. But just the physical tools that he has... It, it, as well as like the passing Phil is pretty incredible. He had the biggest hands of the draft. Uh, he's, he, he's really huge. You know, he really stands out when you look at him. Uh, I think he's like six, nine. They played a lot of center for uh, the G league team in college park. Um, so he's pretty versatile there. He can make some really nice passes from the mid post and the high post. Uh, he's a good transition ball handler. So I think the passing is, is pretty nice here. I'm not totally sure about his offensive role right now uh, he has really good hands so you might like to get him involved more in the role stiffer hips than someone like colin so he's not quite as natural there but uh they have to kind of figure out what they want his role to be he's going to have to shoot threes at least enough to get defenses to respect it but i think that there's a lot of upside there just from the physical profile and the the passing talent that he has and you know we, we talked a little a little bit about, you know, how we like them compared to the Cavs or some other teams really for the Hawks to kind of, you know, unlock the highest potential ceiling. They're going to need some of these other guys to pan out. You know, uh, you can feel good about Trey, you can feel good about Murray, but if, you know, you get a step forward from Hunter, you get a Congo to look, you know, like the player that they drafted at six overall, what they're expecting to get someone like a Jalen Johnson or or an AJ Griffin to uh, pan out. And you can really have, you know, a a long-term contender if you get these kind of outcomes. Um so one of those guys between, you know, Griffin and Johnson really panning out would be huge for them. But I like Johnson a lot. I probably preferred him a little bit more to Griffin just because I really like the size and the skill level.
0: Yeah, I, I like that it seems like Atlanta in these two previous draft picks is kind of taking the upside swings in my mind. Um and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong with that, but like that's something yeah. I've really wanted the Kings to do and hasn't quite been the case, but I also understand like
1: yeah, it's been easier, too, where the Hawks have been, because now it's just like, oh, Jalen Johnson fell to me. Okay, that's easy. Oh, Adrian right. Griffin fell to me. Okay. So, like, right. that's, you know, it's it's easier when you do it outside the lottery, I think.
0: For sure. And the Kings, like, the context of the Kings is just, like, breaking my mind constantly of, I guess that I've just come to accept that, like, they need to be a mediocre team just to be respected again throughout the association. Like, by agents and players and and draft prospects and just to be able to get people in the door. Like, I I think that they need to get this stink off their back. Um, And I I know that obviously the Kings are in in the Western Conference and opposite of the team you cover in Atlanta, but something I'm going to ask everybody throughout this series, like, what is your perspective on this current Kings roster, the Fox Sabonis pairing, and like how good in your mind do you think this Sacramento Kings team is?
1: I'm somebody that I really like the, like the win totals projections, you know, going into the season. And there's always like one team for me that I think that really stands out as like a big value. Like last year, I was really into the Timberwolves. I just really liked like, and a lot. I've always been a big talents fan and Jaden McDaniels. I liked a lot and I liked their coaching staff. So I felt really good about them being a team that would be the team to hammer as a team that could, you know, exceed their win total. And this year, I, I honestly do really like the Kings. You know, I've seen them projected at like what 32 and a half, 33 wins. Which and, is ridiculous, uh, I yeah, gotta say. And I think that's like the single best value right now, like as, as far as any like preseason win total that you can get. I think that they're gonna be a play in team. Um, it, when you look at the West next year, it's, it's definitely gonna be better. Like it's gonna be competitive teams like Portland have improved, in my opinion. Um, but. I, I think that someone like Keegan Murray is someone that could really surprise people out of the box. I think he could be at least a good rotation player, maybe even a starter as a rookie. And that's, that's very hard to get. Um, I think that Fox is going to have maybe his best year. I just like more of a gut feeling than anything, you know, in particular, I like the Herder uh, addition. I like how Sabonis fits, uh, fits with Fox. I thought that they were impressive once they got together. Um, I just think that, some of the cultural moves, too, that they've made, like Herder's a good culture guy. Davion's a good culture guy. Like you mentioned, just trying to get the stink out of there. <laughs> like I, I like the coaching hire, even if he's not like, you know, Brown's not like an elite tactics kind of coach. I think he's just someone that improves the culture. So I just think the vibes are going to be better with this team. And that might be kind of like a silly thing to appeal to, but I think it does matter. Um, so I think the offense is going to be good, and I like their top eight. I really would, you know, like to see them try to get like another defensive forward type that they can, you know, add to their rotation. I think that would be important. And I know they have KZ for that. I just, you know, I'm not sure how much I believe in him. Yeah. Um, but if, if if their defense can exceed expectations a little bit, then I feel good about them being a play in team. I think that's really the key the key factor for them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely intriguing. I, I think you touched on all kind of the key points there. I'm intrigued to see just how good. Keegan is in year one, and I think that he's in a situation, and this is so weird to say for the Kings because this typically isn't the case, but he's in a situation that I think is very ideal for his development um, as that sort of complementary piece to Fox and Sabonis. And again, maybe not somebody that I would have taken with the number four pick personally. I, I don't know that the ceiling is there in my mind, but I'm also second guessing myself based on what I've seen in summer league and obviously it's just summer league and I'm kind of trying to pump the brakes there, but I'm intrigued. There was some kind of self-creation that maybe I didn't see quite at Iowa. Um He
1: was impressive.
0: Like there's, it, there's it was, it was ridiculous was actually
1: a head turning summer league, you know, yeah. you, you just hear about like in drafts all the time. Some of these older kind of early lottery picks where guys are like, Oh, he's ready. He's going to be good out of the box. And then it just, it doesn't always really seem to happen. And then, you know, seeing him at summer league and maybe it's just summer league, but I think it does matter. Like, I, I think it maybe matters more than some people think in some ways. Um, but he just looks so mature. Like I, and like I said, just you don't really see that kind of you know shooting ability at times what he was running off screens. I mean, we'll have to see more of that at his size, but that was very tantalizing to me. Um, and just, he just looks like a mature player and he looks like he's ready to play and I'm pretty in on him now.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, I really try not to overvalue summer league. Right. And of course it's going to like naturally happen because there's no other basketball going on, but I, I really couldn't help it with Keegan. Like it was, it was surprising. Um, there was even some moments specifically in that Indiana game to me. And, and you saw it a little bit in Orla- the Orlando game that he played against Paulo as well. But like there was some self creation and you mentioned the off ball uh, shooting and the off ball movement, like off or the shooting off movement off ball. Um, that I think is just ridiculous for a player at his size. And that's something that's going to be an asset immediately, specifically alongside Fox and Sabonis. But I thought some of the self-creation really is what changed my perspective a little bit on Keegan moving forward. Um, last question I have for you. And I know that this is a tough question, but this is just going to be the last question I throw towards everybody throughout this series. We need a hard yes or no. Do the Kings break their postseason drought? This year, Andrew, um, and postseason is not play in play in my mind. Let me take this back. Post that I think I do think that is postseason in my mind. This is kind of the way I've worded it. Play in is postseason, but it's not the playoffs. So, do you think the Kings break their playoff drought and make the playoffs this year?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say yes, and I'm not just trying to appeal to the to the Kings listeners. Like I, I really do like this team. You know, I, I talked about it a little bit just then, but. You know, I think the offense is going to be good. I like their their top eight. I just want to see a little bit more defensive depth. Um, I think that just the vibes are a lot better. Um, I think we could see uh, Keegan being somebody that's maybe like top three rookie of the year. I don't want to like jinx it, but I, I think that he's going to surprise. Sure. I think he's going to surprise people. He looks ready to play. Um, I think I'm really in on Davion the second year. Um, I just think like what he brings, you know, as a, a defender on the ball is just really incredible. And uh, I think the secondary creation could be valuable. I I think we could see Herter have his best year of his career there. I think that playing next to Fox is going to be good for him. Uh, Sabonis is someone that I could see making it another all-star game. And like I said, I just have a gut feeling about Fox this year that he's going to take a step forward and have his best season. So I think they do, you know, I'm not predicting like a postseason run or anything like that, but I do like them to eventually grab the eight seed as a bull call there.
0: I'd give anything. I, I love the prediction. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show, Andrew. And again, Andrew Kelly um, on Twitter. That is A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. For anyone interested, uh, you do a great job covering the Hawks, my guy. Is, is there anything that uh, you kind of want to plug before we get out of here?
1: No, nah, man. I don't really have anything. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the Kings this year. Be fine on uh, on Lake Bass.
0: Definitely. And, and that's a uh, different to hear i gotta say i think some people will roll their eyes at the whole idea of like the vibes will be better but i gotta say the vibes have been so shit around the kings that it, it better vibes i think are more valuable than maybe some people realize because it has been very bad and vibes and culture i i think are uh things that very much need to improve around the sacramento yeah. kings so and it matters um, it very much does it very much does um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how the Kings move forward this season. I'm, I'm interested to keep up with the Hawks and specifically that Murray and and Young pairing to see kind of how both of those ball-dominant guys end up working with one another. But I can't say thanks enough, Andrew, for coming on. And thank you to everybody that listened to this episode. Definitely check out all the great work from myself and all the other guys and gals at the Kings Herald and take a look at their Patreon as part of local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review and hear from... Me again in the next couple of days.